You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Let me just begin by saying we have these prayer cards back in the pews in front of you and the chairs in front of you. Ms. Faredith and David are back there. They would love to pray for you. If you have any needs, if, if God is uh, burdening your heart in any way and you would like brothers and sisters in Christ to pray along with you, grab one of these, fill them out, and make sure just give them to an usher as you leave today. Normally we'd have you put those in the offering plate, but today just give them to uh, one of the folks at the doors. We'd love to take those and pray for you this week. Also, before we get into our text, and you can turn there because I don't know, it may, may take you a second, I don't know, James 4. I know it's a surprise we're in James, right? James chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. If you want to go and turn there, though, but I'd like to say a few words. You know, this, this past week, I went back to DeSoto, Missouri, and I haven't been there for a long time. You, you folks keep me pretty busy here in Springfield, so getting back to that church I pastored for 18 and a half years is a kind of hard thing to do sometimes. DeSoto, as my friends there tell me, it ain't on the way to anywhere. Um, so to get there, you got to kind of go out of your way. And some of the committee who went to see me uh, can testify to that uh, when they came and heard me uh, preach in view of a call there. But anyway, nonetheless, I was in DeSoto this week. The man who prayed a minute ago so beautifully, Jim, his precious wife, Debbie, uh, passed away. And there's some folks that just happened to be in DeSoto and moved down here to Nixa within a stone's throw where Jenny and I bought a house. It's just incredible, that story. Uh, but it was a, just a powerful week. And, and uh, you know, going home and seeing old friends and being with Jim and, and celebrating Debbie's life has got me a little bit nostalgic. And there's two things that came to my mind as we were worshiping today that I think will help us as we prepare to hear this sermon today. One thing is this. Um, years ago, um, there was, uh, and still, he's still around, he, Bill Henry. Uh, when I say Bill Henry, Johnny starts to smile down here. Bill Henry was a deacon at, at, at our church, and he was just a, 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 he's a, a foreman at one time for a construction firm. And so uh, God had rescued him from pretty rough life and, and changed his life. And he loved to share the gospel. And so as a young pastor, I remember one day we were out sharing the gospel. And uh, I was talking to somebody who was clearly not a believer. And I'm, I just mentioned Romans 6.23. And I said, for the wages of sin is death. And I stopped. And old Bill Henry kind of elbowed me out of the way and then said, but he's not telling you the good part yet, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not enough to hear the bad news when we're believers. We do have bad news. We are sinners. We have good news that there is freedom in Christ and salvation in his name. Bill Henry taught me a valuable lesson there. You can talk about sin, but don't you ever talk about sin and forget to talk about grace. You'll see why I'm saying that here in a minute when we look at our text. Another story that came to mind is, is about every Sunday there was a guy that was in our center door. We had three doors coming in the back. and uh, Oh, Brad, he's, he's been here and worshiped with us a few times. Brad, Brad and Lucy are some of my dear friends, and Brad would be handing out the bulletins. And as I would walk into church, he'd say, hey, Pastor, he's kind of from St. Louis, kind of has that little bit more northern accent, unlike your beautiful uh, Ozark accents here. Uh, he has the, the, the uh, more Philistine tongue of the north. But nonetheless... Um, <laughs> He said, hey, hey, Pastor, hey, uh, what are we preaching on today? Sin? Are we preaching on sin? You know, that was always the joke, you know. Yes, we're going to have to cover sin, Brad, I would have to say to him. But you know, the truth is, every time we talk about sin, isn't it glorious that we can talk about grace too? 
Now look at the, look at the title of the sermon, In Need of Grace. Friends, we're going to talk about the ugliness of our sin, and the language here is very strong. I've already alluded to it once today. The language is strong, but I want to tell you, before we're finished today, we're not going to leave you just wallowing in your sins. We won't let you stay there. Bill Henry wouldn't let me stay there in my witness, and I ain't going to let you stay there either because we believe that if you will receive Jesus, if you will humbly submit your heart, as the text will tell us, you can be saved from your sin. But as is so often the truth, we've got to start with the bad news to get to the good news, all right? So I've set you up. I want you to hear this text. Now, if you will stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word, we're going to begin here with a very strong exclamation. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But notice this. I love it when the adversative conjunction jumps in the text. And notice this. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. But notice this. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Whoever you are this morning, whatever you're going through, you may think that your sins are too heavy. I am here to tell you that Jesus' salvation, His grace is better and bigger than anything you brought in this room. Let's pray. God, please move in our hearts. We need grace. Even those of us who have been walking with you for many years, we need your grace. Let it flow this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is at work in this place. God is doing something special among His saints. And I know that God is up to good things because anywhere where God's people are, that means the grace of Jesus Christ is there too. We are here today, brothers and sisters, those of you who are believers in Christ, we are here because we have received the blood of Jesus as the forgiveness of our sins. Amen. Can I get an amen? Can the redeemed say so? No, you say so. But anyway, you know, it's kind of like, you know, listen, right? You got to repeat what I say there. No, it's true. We, We realize that a Christian full of grace has unlimited potential. And that's what the scriptures are telling us. When we tap into grace, when we allow the grace of Jesus Christ to fill us, I'm telling you, nothing can stop us. But the truth is, we need grace more than we can fathom. We need to lean into it every day because sin is a heavy thing. It weighs us down. It pulls us down. And it causes us to miss all the good things from God. I have in in my mind, as I've been thinking about this the last couple of months, Shayla can tell you, I was 
I was uh, up one night when we were in Ukraine, and I had this idea. I kept thinking about the heaviness of sin, and, and uh, I was reading a book on physics, so it's my own fault. But anyway, I was thinking about the heaviness of sin, and I thought, man, you know, sin, when it's heavy in our hearts, it has kind of a gravitational pull. Those of you who are, have PhDs in physics, you're going to love this, but anyway, the rest of us, I don't know. So, so think about the weight of sin. We know that in gravity, the heavier something is, the more pull it exerts. Listen, many of you, your lives are, are out of orbit because sin is pulling you away, keeping you from that, that journey that God has for you. I'm going to tell you, there is only one thing in this world that is heavier than your sin, and that is the grace of Jesus Christ. We have to reorient our lives around the heaviest thing in the universe, and the heaviest thing in the universe is God and His grace. I'm going to ask you today to consider what sins in your life you need to get away from. You need to stop allowing the heaviness of sin dictate and dominate your lives. It's time to turn to the grace of Jesus Christ because He has something better, something bigger, something beautiful for you today if you will turn from your sins. And I'm going to tell you, grace is the means of that journey. If we will follow the path of grace, there is a superhighway of God's goodness coming to us. And I'm going to tell you, this land, America, the United States of America, we need to be on a superhighway of grace. We need some grace from above. I believe that God is going to bring it. We talk about revival. We need a superhighway that brings grace and revival to this land. The only thing that's going to keep it from us is the sinful desires or those sinful desires of our hearts. Grace and goodness are flowing, brothers and sisters. But we have to allow grace to flood our hearts. We need a flood of revival in this land. We need a flood of grace. So today what we're going to do is we're going to have just these two ideas thrown at us. And we begin uh, kind of where we left off last week. If you think about it, we were talking about the, de- the deadly desires of our hearts. Really, that's the context. That's what's going on in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Uh, and then verse 4 pops up here. And, of course, it says, you adulterous people. And here we begin to see the danger of a heart divided. So let's start with the negative, the danger of a heart divided. Yes, those three words, you adulterous people, is, is hard to hear. Notice that he is not picking on adulterers. That's not the point of this text. This point is, is more broad than that because if we know our Bibles well, and I'm telling you, James did know his Bible well, one of the most common metaphors for spiritual problems is spiritual unfaithfulness or adultery. That's exactly what he's doing here. He's, he's calling out the people because their hearts are clamoring after false truths. When people who know better chase after false truths, the Bible calls that adultery. Isaiah 54, Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah 3, Hosea chapter 2. These are all passages that use that metaphor, right? So basically, if we want to think about it this way, James is just using his Bible, which would have been the Old Testament, and the prophets would have been a part of his Bible. And what he's doing is he's reminding the people that when we choose to be friendly with the world's ways, look at verse 4, then we will be at enmity or an enemy of God. There is no way we can have it both ways. And hear me out. I think this is the issue today in the church. I'm sure it was probably the issue in past days, but I can't speak to that. But I can tell you that in our day, we have a lot of people who want salvation. They want 
Jesus. They want worship. They want to feel good about going to heaven, but they also want to hang on to some of those heavy sins. But James is saying to do that is to divide your heart. To be partially faithful to God is not to be faithful at all. It is all or nothing. A heart divided is a heart that is ripe for destruction. This idea of partial faithfulness, partial commitment shouldn't be surprising to us. Let's talk percentages for a moment. Those of you who are mathematically minded, by the way, preachers never are, but I'll be mathematically minded for a moment with you, okay? I'm guessing that the accountants at the IRS are not going to appreciate you being 80% accurate on reporting your income. Partially, even a majority. You gave, you told them a majority of your income, 80%. I'm guessing the IRS is not going to accept that as legitimate. How about this? My wife and I have had to do a lot of traveling this summer for Zach's baseball. Uh, We've been all over the Midwest. I think we've spent half our summer in Kansas. It's been glorious. Um, And, and, uh, you know, we're staying in these hotels, and every once in a while, I, I kind of confessed to you last week that I like to save a dollar. That's why I tortured my family in a Prius for 18 hours from here to Orlando. Um, but, you know, every once in a while, I'm thinking, man, I'm sure I can find a better deal on a hotel. So just this last week, this really happened, and I'll try to not, you know, get myself sued on this. But anyway, so we had a hotel in St. Louis, and I don't know what's going on in St. Louis next weekend, but the hotels are just ridiculous. I mean, just like common hotels costing $150 or more, and that's just ridiculous, okay? I don't care who you are, it's ridiculous. And so I'm thinking, I'm going to save some money. So I get online, and I do the things I do to try to find a better hotel. And lo and behold, I found a hotel in the same chain. It wasn't the same hotel, but it was the same chain. And I was like, look at this. I am a genius. I ought to be a travel agent. I'm so good at this. <laughs> Instead of 150 a night, I was paying 102 That's how good I am. Man, I tell you, Jenny was just rising up and calling me blessed. (laughs) Now, that ain't true, because you know what she did? She got up from her chair and said, you know this never works out well. (laughs) You're saving $100, but this is going to hurt. And it wasn't the Holy Spirit, but it was my wife's voice I was hearing. and, And I thought, you know, I better do a little more research. And most... Most of the reviews were good. They were partially positive. But the second one down said that it was like sleeping in a garbage dump. And so (laughs) something tells me that I shouldn't keep that. So I canceled that really quick. Fortunately, it was a, uh, you know, no harm, no foul cancellation. And uh, we're we're not, uh, my marriage is, is safe. Okay, so partially good on those reviews. If you see a handful of bad reviews, you probably need to avoid that hotel like the plague, okay? Now listen to me. When we think about this in our spiritual lives, um, it, it is even more applicable. Since it's the 4th of July, let me give you one more illustration from history. On June 16, 1858, Lincoln gave one of his more famous speeches, the House Divided speech. I want you to listen to what he actually said. He said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. That's the line everybody remembers. But he says this, I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. 
I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or the other. In 1858, he said, this is coming to a fight. That's what he's telling you. And he's saying, I believe that the United States of America will stay intact, but it's going to be either a slave country or a free country. And he was correct. And the blood of hundreds of thousands of Americans had to decide the matter. I'm here to tell you, friends, we cannot be divided as a church, and you cannot be divided as a believer. You must not be partial to your sins. Now, this house-divided metaphor comes from Mark 3.25. Lincoln knew his Bible well. And in this passage, there are people claiming that Jesus is from the devil. And basically, Jesus says, demons don't cast out demons. Says this, he says, I'm, I'm from God. We're casting out demons over here because I'm from God. And so what he's saying is, is that he's all for God. And what I'm asking is, are you all for God. Your sin is no small thing. Don't sweep it under the rug because there ain't no rug that big. It's all one or the other, as Lincoln put it. And if you let sin remain long in your heart, you will not be divided. No, no, no. You will be completely corrupted. Your desires are are powerful forces. We talked about those deadly desires last Sunday. Your fallen heart is drawn to fallen things. You naturally are inclined towards sin. The only way to avoid sin is by giving our hearts fully to Christ. The bride of Christ must give her heart fully to the groom. We must give everything to Jesus. And notice this, a casual relationship with the world's ways can quickly become an obsession, an addiction, and a cyclone of destruction in your heart. I am watching lives around me and have for many, many years now watching the cyclone of destructive power of sin. The only way away from that is to trust in God. Romans 8, 7 warns us that the sinful mind is hostile to God. That's why the culture is so much against us. But I'm going to tell you, that's why there's hostility in the church. There's hostility in the church when when we have allowed our sinful desires to take over. Our hearts are inclined toward evil, we are told in Genesis 8.21. Even as children, why do we have to teach our children about sin? Well, Genesis 8.21 is a pretty good verse because it reminds us that even children have hearts inclined toward sin. I just want you to hear this. I hope you'll hear this clearly. God wants all of your heart. He loves you. He doesn't want just a portion of your heart. He wants all of your heart. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus is worth every bit of your heart. Verse 5 puts it like this. He yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. So here's what I think that's saying. That's a tough verse. But I think what, what God's Word is telling us is that, that when we're saved, the spirit of God comes in us. And, and our Heavenly Father, Jesus, if you want to think of it this way as the groom, he is jealous for us. He wants us to make the right choices. And I think sometimes when we don't, we feel the wrath of God. We feel the edges of God's wrath because he loves us. He is desperate for us to return to him. He does not want us to throw our lives away. But many people are doing just that. Good people. People who know better. 
I can't tell you how many times in life I've, I've visited with people who thought that they could control their sin, but very quickly found out that their sin controlled them. This is dark stuff, I know, but it is true. I alluded to this last week, but let me say it again. Every bit of energy you put into sin is wasted energy. You, you only have so much to give in this world. Why do you keep giving it to your sin? Why do you keep wasting your life on pleasures that will not remain? We trade eternal joy for a moment of pleasure. What a terrible trade. Divided hearts cause big problems. Every war, every word of hate, every broken marriage, every abused child, every trafficked woman, every lie begin with a heart divided. Don't let your heart be a source of such soul pollution. S-O-U-L, soul pollution. Will you not instead desire God? The majority of our text talks about the desire for God and the power of grace. It's getting quiet in here. Look at verse 6 with me. This is awesome. Look at what God is doing. I love this. You know, my goodness, I'm watching you guys and you're like, oh man, this is the 4th of July. I didn't expect to come in here and get beat up, you know. You're welcome. I don't, I don't know. I just... You know. It's what the text tells us, okay? Look at verse 6, though. This is, this is what I was telling you earlier, where Bill Henry had to remind a young preacher that you don't just tell people the bad news. you got to always tell them the good news, and the Bible does that. Look at verse 6, but he gives more grace. Man, it's hard to think about what sin has taken away from us, but it is good to think about what can be restored by grace. That great hymn, that grace is greater than all our sin. That's one of those, those songs that echo in my, my heart and mind in the dark of the night. Grace makes it possible for us to be different than what we would otherwise be by nature, Thomas Manton said. It is the way toward living the supernatural power of God. Grace opens the door to the supernatural power of God. Hear this, hear this. If there has been a lack of spiritual power in your life, it is due to sin. That means there's too much sin and not enough grace. You need to shut down the door to sin to open the door for grace. If you want God, then God will give you more grace. What you hungry for? What are you passionate about? Is it time to walk away from that sin? And you know what that sin is. I don't. But you do. The Spirit is bringing up that sin. And it's that sin that you refuse to put on the altar before God. It is that sin that you refuse to deal with. It is that sin that you continue to sweep under the rug. And it is that sin that is keeping you from the joy of the Lord. Notice what it says there in verse 10. We're going to skip to the last verse and then build back in those other verses. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Listen, the equation is not complicated. If you today will humble yourself before God confessing your sins, you will experience the forgiveness of God. That word exalt is a big little word. The king of kings wants to pour out his royal blessings on you. That word exalt is the language of kings and queens and sovereigns. Now, rewind to verse 7 with me and look at that word submit. You see that word submit? 
It means the aligning of your will under the authority of another. We submit by saying to God, not my will be done, but thine. Are you submitting? Are you giving up? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And when we do this, when we submit in this way, grace gets flowing. Pride blocks the flow of grace in your life. But hear this, submissive prayer turns on the fire hydrant of grace. Man, we are thirsty, brothers and sisters in this land. We need the fire hydrant of grace to pour forth living water. Man, God, God's going to fill you up if you're open to this. I often think about that great story from 2 Kings 4 where Elisha tells the widow, hey, bring some pots and pans and I know you're hurting. I know you need some money and God's going to take care of you. And notice this, the oil never ran out. What ran out were the pots. See, God's grace, it has no limit. We're the limiting factor. And I just, I look out and I know there is some amazing people in here, but here's what I do know. As awesome as you are, as many great, great saints of the Lord who are at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, listen, the more we open up capacity for grace, the more grace will flow in this place. We need to bring more pots and pans to church, amen? We need to come expecting God to fill us up. Maybe the reason why you walk out of here and you ain't changed is because you brought a thimble, Instead of a five-gallon bucket. If we can just imagine people coming into church with buckets saying, I want more grace. I want more. But too often we come in, we've, we've not prepared for worship. Worship and, and, and Jesus and the power of God has just been kind of in our lives on the periphery, but not in the center. And so we come into church with this little bitty thimble and we say, I just don't understand why that pastor doesn't fill me up. I did. You just didn't have much to fill. Bring in the buckets. And then we'll talk about blessings. Man, God is good. And we need to re- remember that. The oil doesn't run out. The grace doesn't run out. Amen and hallelujah. He is good that way. There are good things that God wants to do. Now look at the second half of that verse. It tells us resist the devil and he will flee from you. James doesn't merely tell us to resist our sin. He tells us to resist the source of our sin. Now I'm going to tell you, Pastor Johnny down here, one of, the, one of the things he likes to say is he wants to come to church and take the devil by the throat. And when he says that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm so sophisticated and polished, you know, I'm just like, ooh, <laughs> Johnny, my goodness, you know, you know what you're talking about? Absolutely, I think he does. He's exactly right. You know, I I play nice too much at church. I need to be like Johnny and start fighting the devil dirty like he does. Listen, what we've got to do is believe that the enemy is ugly and we're going to have to not be ugly in return, but we've got to be powerful. We've got to believe in the power of God to change lives. Man, the church doesn't have time to play nice. Suits and ties ain't going to win this. We got to put on battle dress uniforms. Amen, soldiers? We got to put on the armor of God. We got to get ready to do something great for the kingdom of God and quit making excuses. Cowardice has no place. In the church, we got to hold the line. We got to live in the power of grace. Listen, the devil, he is playing for keeps. You better have grace. Are you tired of letting the devil run wild in your hearts, your homes, your churches? We've got to put up the shield of God. Those who, who study warfare will tell you that 
an individual soldier isolated is a dead soldier. But when you have a group of soldiers together, in the old days when they put their shields together, they could withstand a mighty force. But a single soldier is going to go down. Listen to me, church. We've got to link our shields together. We have to resist the devil together. He is stronger than we are, but he who is within us is stronger than he who is in the world. We've got power. We just got to remember that. Believe it. Look at verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God is promising us some good things in the text today. Will we take him up on it? But listen to me, Christian. Don't take on temptation without God by your side and without your brothers and sisters in Christ by your side. Don't try to take on the devil. Don't try to resist the devil thinking you can do it by yourself. That is a suicide mission. But when you are together, when you are in prayer with God and together in fellowship with the church, you can resist the devil. If you came in here telling me today that there is a sin in your life that can't be beat, I would say, yes, that is true. You in your own strength and power cannot beat it. But I'm going to tell you, the power of God and the blessings of the saints, we can overcome those sins. Amen? If you will believe that God is able, if you will turn from those sins, you don't have to walk in those sins anymore, but you can walk in grace. That's what God is offering us. You are in need of grace, and it is flowing in this place if you will receive it. Malachi 3.7 says it like this. Return to me, God says, and I will return to you. Not many years ago, I figured out that actually Malachi 3.7 may be the summary statement of the prophets. It may be in a sentence, the message of the Hebrew prophets. And to bring it down to one word, it's that word return, sub in the Hebrew. Sub. God's message through the prophets was return. And I'm going to tell you, a prophetic message to the church today is the exact same Hebrew word translated into English, sub. Return to God, church. Any place in your life where God does not have sovereignty over your life right now, why don't you give up doing it your way and let's start doing it God's way. Amen? Let's return to God. Let's ask Him to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray that we we will be a church on fire for God like never before. Amen? Listen, we need to have clean hands and a pure heart, verse 8 tells us. In other words, our worship and our ministry must have a singular Christ-centered purpose As James has already warned us about being double-minded in other passages, we have to have singular focus. Grace flows to those who are honest about their sins and who constantly allow the living water of Jesus to cleanse their hands and their hearts. But you have to want God more than you want your sins. Last week's talk about desires sets us up for today. What do you want? How many of us with our children, from time to time, we, we know that they're making a bad choice and we just have to say, what, what do you want? And we know that if they answer honestly, they're going to choose poorly. God loves you enough this morning to let you answer the question poorly. He's asking you what you want, and if you answer it poorly, he'll still love you, but he may not use you. And I think about some of us here today. The sin that we're, the sinful choices we're making, the lifestyle, the, the choices mm, seem to indicate that we're not standing with Jesus at all. 
I want you to think about this text. I'm going to use some words here in the text to wrap it up, but I want you to hear it. These are all words from our passage here. What must you do to be saved this morning, brother, sister? If you're following a path away from God, first you must trust in God's grace. Oh, he gives more grace. His gift of Jesus to die for our sins on the cross. That is God's grace. The perfect picture of it. Secondly, you must humble yourself and admit your sin and submit to God. What does that look like? Well, thirdly, you have to turn from your sin and embrace Jesus. You draw near to God through Jesus, through obedience. And then we have to obey him every day. All those words are in that text. So this text is not just telling us how to return. For some of you, it's telling you how to turn for the first time to Jesus. The cross is the only way. Listen, every, and I hope you hear this, every person in this room, without exception, is in need of grace. And may the Holy Spirit reveal to you what the action is, the decision is, the the action you need to make right now. If you are in need of grace, what's the next step? God knows your heart and he's speaking to you. Take that step. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.